0: Welcome to the podcast that shares the views of high-level leaders in the European and global financial services industry. Welcome to Shaping Finance, a podcast which offers a platform to high-level decision-makers and shapers in international finance. My name is Nicolas Maquel. I'm the CEO of Luxembourg for Finance and the host of this podcast. I'm particularly pleased to welcome today my friend, Michael Cole fontaine Michael is currently the chairman of AFMI, the Association for Financial Markets in Europe. He's a well-known figure in Europe's banking industry, having served for 35 years in different roles at BNY Mellon, the last seven of which as the Europe and Middle East and Africa chairman. Michael has also a number of other hats, as a member of different advisory bodies or charities. He is particularly engaged with different initiatives on skills as well as on ethics and finance. Welcome to Shaping Finance, Michael. A huge thank you, Nicola. Delighted to be with you. So, AFMI has been set up, um, in fact, during the global financial crisis as a representative body for wholesale capital markets financial services firms in Europe. Could you provide us a little bit of context as to why AFMI was founded and what it seeks to achieve?
1: Uh, Nicola, you're correct. AFMI was indeed founded a little over 11 years ago now, the height of the financial crisis, And it was a synergy or merger between two organizations that were very broadly occupying the same space, the London International Bankers Association and the Securities Industry Financial Markets Association, or SIFMA, Europe. And the founding fathers of AFMI at the time, the leading lights on the wholesale corporate banking markets of Europe said, we need something that is an association of all of us reflecting the new reality of European markets. And that's how the name was born. So today we represent wholesale financial services businesses you can see from our board members, all to be found at afme.eu, that it is the heads of wholesale markets within global and regional banks. And we seek to represent a voice for wholesale markets with a particular voice from the sell side. Uh, those uh, banking organizations who interact with their clients, who will be asset owners, major corporations, uh, small and medium-sized enterprises, governments, government institutions, and so on. And we're available to all parties to try and ensure a fair, effective, efficient, uh, transparent, and liquid wholesale markets to serve the needs of society, and citizens.
0: So one topic we're going to obviously address with you this morning is that of the capital markets union in Europe. And maybe let's get started by explaining to us why we do need a capital markets union in Europe. Well,
1: the history of Europe has been built around member states with their own banking champions, and before the financial crisis, those great banking champions had moved across border, made acquisitions, developed client bases, and uh, so on. But it was very much focused on lending at its core, and the capital markets businesses were quite underdeveloped and quite nascent and it was very convenient for europe to outsource a lot of its capital markets activity the in effect turning the equity and debt of companies into securities that could be actively listed quoted on and traded on markets and also their derivatives to hedge risks and also take positions, it was convenient for Europe to outsource to the deemed expert in the region at the time, and that was the City of London in the UK. London has been a global financial centre for many years, and now a time for and an opportunity for EU27 to certainly think about how it wants to promote its own capital markets capability. And the vision within the member states to create such capital markets became born several years ago now as capital markets union. We have a banking union of sorts. Why do we not have a capital markets union of sorts where we can freely move capital across the markets of Europe to finance uh, European projects and so capital markets union is still in the making uh, but it is exceptionally important for the resilience and the recovery and the other major issues that are both opportunities and challenges for for Europe
0: and what progress has been made on this project uh, since it was introduced or what is preventing it from being completed uh, capital markets union has made i would say steady
1: progress and under the the two main commissioners that it has had it was born under the commissioner lord hill and has been really nurtured into, I would say, adolescence by Commissioner and Commission Vice President Valdis Dombrovskis, and it is now transitioned to further mature under Commissioner Mairead McGuinness. The lower-hanging fruit and the easier parts of developing capital markets in Europe under the umbrella of Capital Markets Union have been developed. And I would say uh, certainly market structures have been established. There are, of course, a longstanding market infrastructure in Europe of, of a very high quality. The central securities depositories, for example, and indeed Luxembourg hosts one of those in Clearstream, Those structures are in place. It is the development of the front end and the need for markets to mature in their liquidity and capital formation and intermediation and risk-taking that needs to further develop. And when I say risk-taking, it's really the management of the risk that needs to be taken in order to facilitate markets. So capital markets is maturing and together with the necessary completion of banking union will form a financing union for Europe that will enable it to become more digital, more sustainable, more resilient and indeed more competitive. So it is an essential European
0: project. We have um, currently two big factors affecting capital markets in Europe if we look at the bigger picture. One on is the long-term low-interest rate environment that has persisted since the end of the last financial crisis. And the other is the short-term impact of the coronavirus pandemic and the public support measures to combat it. How do you see these two factors affect the urgency of the Capital Markets Union project?
1: Nicola. I would say there are three issues facing Europe that have given rise to these market conditions. And of course, we are still dealing with the European angle to the hangover from the great financial crisis. But the three issues we're dealing with is is clearly a health crisis as a result of the pandemic. We're dealing with a financial crisis that has arisen as a result of the pandemic. Uh, And we're dealing with a climate change transition challenge that will turn to a crisis if we do not Manage it and invest in the management of the transition with urgency. And all of those three are competing at a time for the attention of policymakers. And I think we need to really commend the policymakers in Europe, uh, particularly the official financial institutions, both the ECB and the wise heads at the Member state central banks, who have collectively worked to introduce monetary policy, at times very innovative monetary policy, in order to execute the policy response across the Member States, particularly the 19 Member States who are using the euro and part of the euro financial system in order to build a uh, monetary bridge to support uh, businesses and citizens during these exceptional times. As you say, that has led to extraordinary uh, central bank intervention in markets, the uh, purchasing of a significant percentage of available sovereign and sometimes corporate and other related bond portfolios. And that has led to, at times, significant dislocation in interest rates, at times significantly negative interest rates or distorted interest rates that have distorted attitudes to risk. And the sooner we can normalize monetary policy, the better. Certainly, the member state governments have acted with, in many cases, a very aggressive fiscal policy to support their economies at a national level. And the fact that the council was able to agree on a common uh, pandemic relief package that is now to be allocated across the member states, really right at the height of the crisis between the slight subsidence of the first spike and the onset of the second spike uh, has been quite remarkable. And this is rewriting European financial history and indeed the European financial future as well. So we hope and aspire that uh, markets will Return to an interest rate that prices based on risk rather than is a response
0: to a global health emergency. You mentioned before talking about the financial crisis that there was a hangover still that we were suffering from. There's another event that probably has caused many of us a, a hangover that is ongoing, and that is Brexit. How is Brexit going to accelerate the CMU project? Is there a need to compensate for the loss of access of liquidity pools in London? Um,
1: Certainly, the need to accelerate CMU has a Brexit angle to it. And yet, we are still in the very early stages of understanding the consequences of a loss of market access from those institutions that are legal entities based in the UK. Uh, Financial markets, all aspects of financial markets, be it insurance, the asset management industry, the service of wholesale markets, have been able to transition from having market access to having highly conditioned market access without there being any financial instability or undue concerns. And that is um, a credit to all market participants, but also to uh, the regulatory and supervisory agencies who have been consistent in ensuring that uh, all market participants have been able to uh, prepare themselves for a no low access event. Of course, it is pleasing uh, that there was a trade and cooperation agreement. It holds nothing for financial services. And as we speak, Nicola, the Commission and the UK Treasury are preparing for a meeting sometime this month in March in order to discuss a memorandum of understanding that will uh, set a framework for at the very least communication but hopefully build a platform for for greater collaboration and i've heard um your excellent finance minister Pierre gramenya talk about there used to be a, a four-lane highway at least if we can have a single road we can build from there but that memorandum of understanding to share areas of common interest Particularly coordination around supervisory and regulatory understanding of how the EU and the UK intend to position themselves, particularly in areas of digital, particularly in areas of sustainable finance, and particularly in areas of uh, financial and related crime that leads to market abuse and, and undermining the integrity of markets this will be a really important first step, but I think it is only a first step and um, it provides an opportunity to develop that conversation in the post-Brexit environment.
0: There are obviously quite a lot of topics that we would need to continue our dialogue between the EU and the UK on. And uh, I salute, by the way, the fact that uh, you as a Brit are sharing AFMI, an association for financial markets in Europe, that shows that, uh, should anyone forget, Britain is still part of Europe, and we can certainly use and leverage the expertise that is available in London. One of these topics, for instance, is, of course, sustainable finance. And um, sustainability has become really a guiding principle of the EU, if you so want, If you look at the Green Deal, for instance, the CMU will play an important role in ensuring that Europe's recovery is sustainable and that finance is channeled to projects and businesses that are crucial for long-term growth. How will the CMU help ensure that Europe remains a leader in sustainable finance?
1: The Commission, in many ways, is leading the way here by insisting that the pandemic recovery response funds have 37% of the funds that are allocated to member states need to have clear governance around them. They constitute green uh, activity, whether that is new investment or ensuring that as businesses open up again, that they are... Supported in their transition planning. And I think this is a really uh, strong uh, signal. That theme of resilience, so planetary resilience, health resilience, I would add to that a necessity to focus on market resilience is going to be a common theme that we will hear a lot more of. And as we think about building better, building forward better there is going to be a strong element of of sustainability in that there is in particular a need to recapitalize or shall we say more accurately re-equitise so much of the global economy and certainly in Europe the core of the european manufacturing base is built around small and medium sized enterprises And we need to ensure that uh, access to capital is enabled. We know that uh, from our recent work on the recapitalization report that can be found on our website, that the equity gap is anywhere between 400 and 650 billion euros. And this is as part of uh, in excess of a trillion dollars of recapitalization that needs to take place throughout Europe and the member states. And at the core of that will be this theme of government support uh, will be available, but uh, prove your sustainability credentials, prove that you're building resilience, resilience of supply chains, resilience of carbon emissions uh, reduction into your activities and your future plans. So uh, it's a daunting time, but also an exciting time for management to be reconsidering their plans with their financial markets advisors.
0: Let's change a little bit away from the Capital Markets Union. In my introduction of you, I highlighted your work on ethics in finance. What can you tell us about this part of your activity?
1: During the great financial crisis, the industry of which I have worked in for nearly 40 years now, behavior left uh, a considerable amount uh, to be desired. And the re-regulation of financial markets has been an ongoing theme of, of the last several years. and. My own belief that it takes a very long time to build trust and it is very easy to destroy trust. And the financial crisis and the evidenced behavior of uh, some institutions destroyed trust. And I believe that we have to regain that right to be professional. Becoming professional is about developing the knowledge the qualifications, the education, and indeed the continuous skills in order to be able to give great advice to clients. And i privilege privileged to chair an organization that is dedicated to ensuring knowledge, skills, and behaviors, so integrity and ethics, called the Chartered Institute for Securities and Investment that runs qualifications for financial professionals in the securities markets, both buy side and sell side. And uh, that institution is uh, very much enabling individuals to regain and, and recover their professional status. And then in wholesale markets, I'm privileged to be uh, one of the uh, founding members of the Fair and Effective Markets Review that led to the creation of the Financial Market Standards Board, which looks at standards in behaviour in wholesale markets. And the FMSB is very active in working with the banks uh, in the wholesale markets and all the related market participants, whether they're uh, market financial infrastructure, and indeed looking at some of the new trends, the the use of AI in model building, for example, uh, to identify areas of emerging concerns in markets, and uh, certainly there is um, a lot of good work that goes on in that organisation. Uh, These standards and and statements of good practice that are are issued are voluntary, uh, but certainly uh, the regulators are increasingly taking note. And indeed, the FX global code that was worked on jointly between the Global Financial Markets Association and the Financial Markets uh, Standards Board was an early example of how standards of adherence to market integrity can be implemented in in global markets. So um, hopefully this is all contributing to building back trust and uh, allowing the citizen saver, investor, depositor, pensioner, current and future to feel comfortable about investing their hard-earned salaries and savings into financial markets, and all of this will help to build the Capital Markets
0: Union. Important work indeed, Michael. So we come to the end of this podcast, and I always ask one last traditional question, which is more on a personal level, namely whether you have had the opportunity lately to read a book, that you would like to recommend to our audience?
1: Uh, thank you, Nicola. Well, I haven't read it yet, but I am halfway through. And it is uh, Bill Gates' latest book on how to avoid a climate disasters. And he uh, begins to talk about, in quite simplistic and very accessible ways, his areas of concern and his suggestions um, as to how and where uh, we can begin to think about solutions and breakthroughs and how both at an individual and a government level we can focus on changing behavior. And he focuses our attention very much on uh, the total global emissions. It's uh, 51 billion of uh, CO2, tons of uh, emissions of CO2 that are taking place. And perhaps an area where we are perhaps under-focused, largely because it's the harder area, but it's the greenhouse gas emissions that come from the making of steel, cement, and plastics is an area. And as we think about building forward better, We're going to be spending a lot in Europe on infrastructure. That's a lot of cement, a lot of steel, and probably there'll be a lot of plastic as well. And we need to think about how we can uh, manage the emissions. So I commend this book to you. I'm about a third of the way through it. How to Avoid a Climate Disaster,
0: Bill Gates. Well, that's very good to hear because it's right on top of my to read pile. And I really look forward to uh, starting it. Well, thank you very much, Michael, for sharing your insights with us this morning. Thanks also to our listeners who have tuned in again to our podcast. In our next episode, I will be speaking to Rolf Strauch, the chief economist at the European Stability Mechanism. To stay up to date with our podcast, please feel free to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google. You can also find more information on our website, LuxembourgForFinance.com.